Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. We're glad you've joined us to listen to a message from our pastor, Ashley Ellison. We believe God's Word is powerful and that it can be applied to our lives so that we may live victoriously. Let's join Pastor Ashley now as he shares the Word with us. I am excited today. Uh, I want to continue uh, talking about what I kind of started last week, the faithfulness of God. I think it's so important to understand that we serve a God who's faithful to us. He is a faithful God. And, and, and whatever happens in your life, my prayer is that being a part of Christian Ministries Church, you will learn, you will hear, you will be inspired to know that God is never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He, Hebrews talks, he's not going to do any of that. He's going to be there for you. God's faithful. God is faithful. Now, you can have a year of us teaching our vision, and our vision this year is living by faith. And you can say, yeah, I'm going to live by faith, but I promise you, if you don't believe that God is faithful, you won't live by faith. If you don't see the faithfulness of God in your life, and I, I know that I grew up with some thinking of God that was not right. And the Bible has corrected me. And, and I, I'm thankful for people that have spoken into my life the Word of God. You're just going to have a hard time living by faith when you don't believe that, that the God that you say you're having faith in isn't faithful. I, I can say that a hundred different ways, but I mean, you got to get the point. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. The definition of the word temptation in its literal meaning means experience of evil. So you will never in all of life experience evil that's different than what someone else has experienced. Well, I'm just telling you, the devil's on my back. You got to know that this isn't the first person who's had the devil on their back. It's no different. Those, those experiences of evil, you're not alone. And the devil wants to isolate you and think that you're the only one that's ever had to deal with that. You're the only one. And what I'm telling you is, the Word of God says that's not the, the case. God's faithful. And He's not going to allow evil, the experiences of evil, which are temptations, be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, He'll show you a way out so that you can endure. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says to not be surprised at fiery trials. Let me give you the, the word here again. Experiences of evil. Don't, don't be surprised when these things happen like something strange is happening to you. You got to get past that you're the only one that's ever had this fiery trial. And I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying that that is a tool of the enemy and you got to recognize it for what it is. Psalm 34, 19, the righteous person faces many troubles. This is an encouraging message. The righteous person faces many troubles, many troubles. So you're in right standing and you're going to face some troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue every time. Yeah, 
every time the Lord will come to the rescue. And so all of us at times are going through something. And there was a, a season of my life that I just thought if I could just operate in more faith, then I wouldn't be having all the troubles that I have. I mean, there was just a time that that thinking, and maybe you've been there, maybe you're there, or maybe I'm giving you some help on the front end. Boy, if I could just have more faith, then I wouldn't be facing these troubles. I want you to know the righteous face troubles. So it's not the troubles that should surprise us. It's when we stop believing that God is faithful. That's what messes us up. When you stop believing that God is faithful, and so you turn away from him. John 10.10 10, I know you can't be in this church, you can't be in any of our classes, you can't hear anything he's ever taught without knowing this verse. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life abundant. Now here's the thing, if it's stealing, you just got to know. If it's killing, if it's destroying, if it's doing any of those three things, that's not God. And he gets blamed for a lot of things that it's the enemy. God loves us. You hear that. You are taught that from a very young age, and then you get this theology messed up like God sent something on you. But from a young age, I mean, one of the first songs that we sing is Jesus Loves Me. This I know until you don't anymore. What happened? Someone told you, that God has done that to you. The theology starts getting all mumble jumbled. Like, God wouldn't send any more on me. Have you ever heard that explained or said? God wouldn't send any more on you. I'm telling you, God doesn't send anything on you. So you've got to get that in your head. If you're going to learn and live by faith, you've got to know that God is faithful and he didn't send anything on you. I could set somebody free today. God loves us. Romans 13, 10. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and you need to know Jesus doesn't wrong you. God is love. Love does not wrong. Now, I understand that there is a ditch a lot of people get in, and they only see love. But today, I want you to know I'm preaching in that ditch because we get in the other one a lot. Here's what you need to do. You do this, this is what happens. You don't do this, this is what happens. But I want you to know, today I'm talking about the faithfulness of God because you've got to know God is faithful and he never leaves you. But God's people leave him. They run away from him. Isaiah 53 and 54, I'm going to get to it here in a second. Jesus died for our sins. And in 53, Isaiah is having some real revelation here of what's coming. 1 John chapter 2, before we get to Isaiah, I just I want to read this to set this all up. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, in the Amplified Bible. And I know you're probably not reading that, so let me just read it to you and you can listen. It says, and he, that same Jesus himself, is the propitiation for our sins. The atoning sacrifice that holds back the wrath of God that would otherwise be directed at us because of our sinful nature. 
our worldliness, our lifestyle. And not for ours alone, but also for the sins of all believers throughout the whole world. Now, we got into this a little bit last week. Propitiation means a satisfaction for our sin. It's averting the wrath that we deserve from God. It's averting the wrath through the offering of a gift. Averting the wrath through an offering of a gift. Very important you get this. You and I have been made right and averted the wrath of God because of what Jesus did. When God looks at you, he sees you right. But you don't know, Pastor, what I did last night. I'm just telling you, God sees you as right if, in fact, you believe what Jesus did. Now, I'm going to get into this. That may rub some people wrong here. But he's not against you. He poured his wrath out on Jesus so he could be kind to you. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead is proof that he died and paid for your sins. And when he rose out of the grave, it was taken care of and God no longer is mad at you. Now, I want to show you this today because I don't think that we really believe this. God is not against you. He is not disappointed in you. He sees Jesus in you. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. Isaiah's revelation, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Propitiation. Averting wrath through the offering of a gift. Now, I know that we can get deep today, but I want to make sure as deep as we go, we still stay very clear. That's, that's really important. There's just so many living in torment over what they have done or how they have lived. They're, they're just being tormented. God can and has forgiven you over your past sins. Well, that's really good, but what about the ones from here on out? He forgave all of them. Past, present, and future. Pastor, how can you tell people they're forgiven for sins that they have never committed? I'm going to repeat myself because I think it goes without being said that this is something that the enemy hurts people with. So I'm just saying it because I don't want him to hurt anybody anymore. Pastor, God, God can't forgive sins that you haven't committed yet. Do you realize the sins that you've been forgiven for? 
that you committed a week ago were still future tense sins when he died on the cross 2,000 years ago. And he died for those. I understand it's in your past, but it's his past that paid for it. It's his past that bore your sins 2,000 years ago. Now, that does not give you a license to sin tomorrow. And don't go out and take this message and go, I have every right. Jesus already paid for my sins, and I'm getting ready to punch you right now. That, that's not. See, I want to make sure that you understand the price has been paid, and so we have to understand what that does for us because the price has been paid. Isaiah 53, let's keep reading. Verse 9, he had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. See, we're made righteous by our faith in his faithfulness. Let me say that again. We're made righteous by our faith in his faithfulness. He was faithful, therefore we can have faith. You won't have faith. It'll be perverted if you don't believe God is faithful. It won't work. It doesn't work. I, I'm, I'm saying the same thing through the whole sermon, because we got to get the faithfulness of God has to be in and who we are for us to be faithful. Justly, Jesus paid for my sins. And God justly made me and you, you and I, righteous. It was all just. The problem is we just don't know the cross and what it made available to us. We don't understand just. Because we think from a very early age that we ought to pay for what we have done. And you should. Thank God you don't have to. It'd be eternal separation. Galatians 3 verse 13. Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Now, Christ has redeemed us. You've heard this. You've heard this. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. He was made a curse for us. Jesus didn't just bore my sin. He bore the curse and the wrath. Not just the sin, but the wrath of God that I deserve for my sin. It's bigger than what I think a lot of times we give credit Four. All right, the Jews. I, I just, I'm still amazed sometimes at the Jews, but I'm trying to understand them better. And I, I, after Michelle and I had the privilege of 
uh, touring the Holy Land and spending some time over there, I, I was around some, some, I'm talking about, they were hardcore Jewish. I mean, just the plane flight over there is owned by the Jews. And so we're on our way over there, and I mean, there's all different types. I mean, there's the real serious Jews, there's the ones that are kind of here, and then there's the American Christianity Jews, you know, the ones that kind of do it, but they believe there's a God, but they're not in it. And you can tell all of them. I mean, the hardcore are wearing the black and the hats, and I mean, they have the little bun thing. I mean, well, all of them pretty much have that. All of this stuff, and I'm watching all of this, and I'm going, and I'm not making fun of them. Why can't they believe in Jesus when they believe so hard? In the Old Testament and all the laws, people couldn't believe Jesus was God. And there's still a problem with that today. And here's why. Because when you only understand the Old Testament and you don't see the type and shadows that are involved in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus, then you live under a shadow, not under the real thing. The Jews, they just saw God different. They saw God as a God who cursed people for not doing right. They saw God as the one who required killing for right standing. Now, they were scared to do anything wrong. Because if they did, they might just fall over dead. Jesus then comes along and says, hey, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And that was tough. I mean, you got to think about this because he was doing good. He was loving people. He was out there doing great things, and they didn't have the right view of God. And so Isaiah 53, as we just read, explains Jesus being cursed for all of our sins He was the one in right standing. We saw him, and they saw him living the perfect life, but they said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So you're basically looking at God, and they said, we don't see God that way. Here's the problem. A lot of us still see God the same way they did. And we're trying to have faith in a God who says he's a God of love, and we read the Old Testament, we're going, I don't make any sense to me. I think I just deserve a a lightning bolt. You sure do. However, Jesus, he lived perfect so that we could get paid for. So we could get the wrath and the curse off of us. And so many people think they're just under a curse. I couldn't walk in that church a lightning bolt and strike if I walked in. You may have been someone who used to think like that. What I'm telling you is, You're right if we are still under the wrath of God. But Jesus, Isaiah 54, kind of sums up the blessing that's a result of Isaiah 53's revelation. Isaiah 54 verse 4 starts out with fear not. Can I just say that really loud? Fear not! Fear not! And then smile after it. Fear not! It's going to be okay. I don't care what the news said. Don't don't fear. Jesus, you've got to have the right view. Fear not. Let's go on. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There's no more disgrace for you. You'll no longer remember the shame of your youth 
and the sorrows of widowhood. So many people live fearful. And they're fearing that they're not in right standing and you can't do anything to get that anyway. Jesus did it. Many times when we fall, when we sin, when we fail, there's two major things, and you got to hear me today, very important part of what I'm speaking on. Two things that happen when you fail in the life of someone who desires a right standing, who wants Jesus and wants to live according to the Word of God. Here's the two things you have to do with, deal with. And number one is shame. Number two is guilt. Those are big deals. Now, you've got to know, sin has been dealt with vertically. You're in right standing. Here's why, because of Jesus. But you realize that shame and guilt are horizontal. Pastor, what do you mean? Sin has consequences. And when you mess up, you're dealing with horizontal issues, and we're trying to make the horizontal issues vertical issues. Like they're going to separate you, and they're not. They're just going to make you run away from him because he's never going to leave you or forsake you. So you start running, and you're like, I, I've done so much wrong, he can't love me. No, he loves you. The enemy's just isolating you. Shame and guilt. Consequences of sin horizontally, and they still have to be dealt with. Sin still has consequences. Sin still has pain. It has suffering. It has issues that you have to deal with. And sometimes it was someone else's sin imposed upon you. And they still have to be dealt with. And people go to counseling for years trying to figure out how to get past shame. How to get past some of these things. And we're saying, well, we just need to introduce them to Jesus. Yes, that's first so that they have an answer to get past the horizontal. I'm spending some time here because I believe that God is speaking to some hearts right now. You're dealing with shame or you're dealing with some real guilt. And so shame, you have to understand some things about both of these. Guilt has redeemable factors to it. Shame, though, has no redeemable factor to it. And I'm going to explain this. And I I talked to our kids in school about this a little bit this week. Shame goes into the core of who you are. Guilt goes to what you did. Shame gets in here. Guilt can't take your eyes off of what this was. So guilt looks at what happened. Shame is inside. Did you ever have a grandma that says, shame on you? She's trying to get you to get a little bit of that in you. Now, I understand what she was doing, but what she's really saying is, look at what you did. She's saying guilt. She says, don't don't say shame on you, say guilt on you. Because guilt has redeemable qualities, and I don't want to push shame on anyone. Now, you got to learn to deal with shame, you got to learn to get past shame, and you'll never do it without the vertical relationship of Jesus. But I love in the song that we were singing this morning, in this house, shame, ha- shame is, it's, go- it's, it's leaving, it's, go- it's going, it's not going to hang out here. Any- in this house, and I'm not talking about this, I'm talking about the body of Christ. Right. In this house, right. shame. 
Well, the one thing, if, if the enemy can leave shame in you, what's going to happen is, is you're not going to want to be around people who are representing Jesus. You're not. I'm, you're shameful, and I don't, they don't even know who I am and what I've done. Shame gets inside of you and won't let, allow you to show your face. You start feeling like you're unworthy of love, and someone starts getting too close, and you run. There's no way anyone could love me because God can't love me. That's what shame does in the heart of people. And I don't want it to happen anymore, so I'm exposing it. Now, then there's guilt. Well, I'm sorry for what I did. I get that. And when you really are, you get your eyes on what you did. And the problem is a lot of times you can't get your eyes off of it. Pastor, you don't know what I did when I was 20 years old. You don't know what I was... You don't know what I did in my marriage. You don't know what I did with drugs or alcohol. You don't know. And that guilt just, it's on me all the time. You don't know. I haven't been in church and I'm just feeling guilty. And Well, here's the deal. Praise God. Because that has a redeemable quality. What do you mean, Pastor? If you were to walk out of here today and go sin, let's just throw one out. You're married and you go out and have an affair. This week, nobody's going to do that, especially after hearing what I'm saying today. I'd sure hope you felt guilty. See, that guilt would move you to a place of redemption. It would lead you to a place of repentance. I would hope godly sorrow would come because of guilt. Now, guilt has redeemable qualities. When you repent and you still feel bad, just get your eyes off of what you've repented for and get them back on Jesus. And start living and don't, don't let that guilt get into shame and it gets inside of you and you can't move any further. Isaiah 54.4, no longer remember the shame of your youth. Now, I, I, I've, I've read this verse my whole life, but and I just kind of came down to this with it. In your youth, you make a lot more mistakes. You do. I, I'm... I've just been pastoring now long enough, and I've watched young people in their teenage years just totally mess up, get into some horrible sin situations, and then I can watch them five, ten years later, and I can see where God moved, and they're not even close to messing up like they did. Aren't you glad we can mature? But when you're young, you just sometimes, you you mess up. And I mean, I don't know. I, I know in my youth, I just, I made more mistakes, and I made more mistakes then than I do now. Now, some of you are going, well, not me. Well, maybe not everyone. Some of you are old, and you're still sinning real good. I get that, but if you're growing in the Lord, I, I, I just personally identify with this. Sin was running more rampant in my life at an earlier age. Point here is the blessing of what God did for us has allowed us to forget shame. And I can, I can, in my mind at times, go back and relive what I did as a young person. And I'm just like, okay, enemy, you have no more power here. In the name of Jesus, that's not him. And then I start thinking, who was that kid? It's like I don't even, I don't, I don't even recognize that person. In my mind, it's like I'm thinking of somebody else. And in fact, I am. Because that's not me anymore. That's not you anymore. 
and that shame has been forgotten. And, it, and the enemy, I'm just wanting you to hold out. Come on, stay in, because if you'll hold out long enough, that shame of what you did gets further and further away, and I'm telling you it dissipates. But it won't if you don't stay in. You got to stay in. You got to stay hooked up. Isaiah 54, verse 5. Y'all still with me? For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you back from your grief as though you were a young wife abandoned by her husband, says your God. And then in verse 7, I want you to look at what it says here. For a brief moment, I abandon you. All right, once again, you're having Isaiah right here have a revelation of what's coming. For a brief moment, I abandon you. When? When Jesus bore my sins. God didn't forsake Jesus. Jesus was in right standing. Come on. God didn't forsake Jesus. He didn't forsake him. He forsook me in Jesus. Therefore, Jesus was able to bore my sin. If you... So he forsook me in Jesus and Jesus took me and my penalty and my curse and the wrath of God and he bore my sin. While I was safe in Jesus, I, I was safe in Jesus and that's when the penalty got paid for. When I was safe in Jesus, boy, if you're not saved, get saved. Why? Because you've already got it paid for. Just take it. If I had a gift and I said, here, take this, and you said, no, that's what the heathen does. Jesus said, here, I have a gift for you. Get it. Take it. He paid for it. You don't have to deal with that anymore. I'm getting too excited. I've got to calm down. The end of verse 7, but with great compassion, I will take you back. See, for a brief moment, I abandon you, but with great compassion, I'll take you back. Verse 8, in a burst of anger, I turn my face away for a little while, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Just as I swore in the time of Noah that I would never again let a flood cover the earth, so now I swear that I will never again be angry and punish you. For the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even, but then, but even then, even then, my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. Man, I don't know if you've ever read that before, but that's a really important understanding of the word and who God is. All right, so he, he refers to the flood. God flooded the earth. Some people say, God never flooded the earth. No, God flooded the earth. God flooded the earth, and then he said, never again will I do that. Never again. See, God didn't flood the earth until there were only eight left that he could see as righteous. That's it. God didn't want to punish. God didn't want to curse. He didn't want to do any of that, but he had to. Why? Because he had to save the righteous seed to get Jesus in the earth for you and me. And it's just when I got an understanding of this, it's like, wow, I see God different now. After he flooded the earth, it broke his heart. 
That wasn't what he wanted to do. He created man, and all he wanted man to do was to carry his image. That's all he wanted to do, just carry my image. And when, when everything had to be wiped out, it grieved his heart, and he swore, I'll never do that again. And you remember the promise? What did he do? The rainbow? And now we're scared to put a rainbow anywhere because what the world's done with it. But the rainbow was sent. And we don't even understand what it means. Can you imagine after Noah and all the sins of the earth being wiped out by a flood, can you imagine the first rain after they got on dry ground? Ooh, why do you think he had to give them a visible sign to say, hey, remember? Remember, I made a promise here. I made a promise. I made a promise. The next hundred years, I'm sure, the kids and the grandkids, it's raining, and Grandpa gets really freaked out with the rain, you know. (laughs) I understand. I understand. So God sent this sign to say, hey, don't freak out. Don't, don't, Don't freak out. And here's what's really cool. It's a rain bow. And it's not a little bow in your hair. See, God put a bow in the sky. Let me tell you what a bow is. In the Bible, it's an instrument of war. Now, follow me here. God, during the flood, had to draw his bow from heaven and destroy life. Flood everything so it's cleansed. He did that with rain. Okay, now, so he put a rain bow. I've got a promise that I won't ever do that again. Now God says here in Isaiah 54, 10, no matter what it looks like, mountains will be removed, hills just disappear. I want you to know I've turned my bow on myself. I've turned my bow on myself. I've hung my son on a cross and I drew my bow on my own son. And here's what I did. My son bore all my wrath and all the curses and the punishment for all your sin. It's a big deal when God says, and I swear to you, you got to see God right. I swear to you. I'll never, I'll never ever rebuke you in wrath or curse. I'll never do that again. I love you. Whatever you face, come on, God is faithful. He sent Jesus, which is way better than just a rainbow to see. We got him. We got his son. And he said, I'm not ever, I'm not ever going to do what I did. I didn't want to do it then. And I want you to know I've set up a situation for you to experience my faithfulness. And it's through my son. We need to learn to be faithful. And we need to know that God is faithful. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to end right here, but I I want you to know that there are people here today that's had a wrong view of God. I I know that with all that I am. Your view of God is he's ready to just, man, you're in church just hoping he don't just pound you this week. 
I'm just coming to church trying to get a little bit right. You'll never get a little bit right without Jesus. But when you get Jesus, you get all right. Not just a little bit. He takes care of all of it. Past, present, and future. Well, I just don't know if I can commit to him because I know what I got planned next week. Why don't you commit to him because he's already paid for that stuff next week and maybe you'll decide he's better than that stuff next week. I I don't know what to tell you, but there's a maturing process. Now, I've got to go on record today just so I don't get this turned around and some of you coming up to me and talking to me about it afterwards. Does that mean God never does anything to us? Yes, he does. He corrects us. But he does it in love. See, it's not in anger and it's not in wrath. And that's how we see a correction oftentimes. I love watching my kids correct their kids, my grandkids, when it's done in love. And when it's not, I'm wanting to whoop them. I haven't seen it very often. In fact, I don't know that I have. Praise God. A good mom or a good dad corrects in love. They don't correct in anger and wrath. Why would you think God does that? Maybe because your dad did. Maybe because your mom did and that's the way you see God. And I want you to know I'm sorry, but you've heard a word today that can change that thinking. When you see God right, it'll change your excitement for him. You see him as faithful to you, not against you. He is for you. He is for you. He loves you. He can't wait to spend time with you. I've said this before. If you were to draw him a picture and say, here, God, he'd hang it on his refrigerator. He loves you. He loves everything about you. Well, what about my sin? He sees Jesus when you mess that up. See, I I just want to give a different view because God is faithful, and he's just looking for some people who can live by faith. But you won't live by faith when you don't have the right view of God. Will you stand with me this morning? Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.